I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. And that is the voice of Rob Haynes, who has just done the pilgrimage to Hillcrest Tops. And those of you who know Hillcrest Tops will know what I mean by pilgrimage. Hillcrest Tops certainly is one of the top liquor stores in the country. And the nice thing with Hillcrest is that Mike Egling certainly takes advice. He listens to advice and he takes whatever we present to him to the next level. So if you ever get the chance to visit Hillcrest Tops, please do so. And I'm excited for this interview with Rob. Rob certainly is a master at his trade and he knows how to curate and make products for his customers, the retailers. So thank you for joining us today and here is my interview with Rob Haynes. Just give me a mic. I feel like we got to sing something. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Rob. And thank you. Th- thanks for these awesome beers. Well, St- thank you, Tops Hillcrest, right? That's where we got the beers from. Yeah, and they're from Berlin. The, can you pronounce the stone beer, this one you're looking at now? No, Coco Veza. <laughs> Better guess than I would have had. Yeah. It's a mocha stout winter spiced beer. And it's, it's pretty tasty, yeah? It's pretty tasty. Tastes like bacon. <laughs> and me, Christmas. I find it quite sweet. You must get onto this Berliner Weiss. Um, <laughs> I think it's the worst thing, actually, to podcast and talk about things that you're tasting that other people can't taste. <laughs> nor, nor can they see this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for those of you that don't know Rob, Rob started League of Beers, and he does all the fancy stuff for Yuppie Chef still, don't mm. you? Insulted them still, yeah. Yeah, and you, like me, like finding new things and... I have to I power have, of creative ADHD. <laughs> I have to tell you the look on Rob's face when he walked into Hillcrest Tops. Mm. Tell us what you thought. I was so impressed. What, what an amazing place! Like it's, and and this is I've obviously been to a lot of liquor stores, um, and was in the states earlier this year. Was in Boulder, Colorado, which is central. In fact, there's a, a, a famous liquor store in Boulder, Colorado which is pretty mind-blowing from the size and variety and scale. But there was it had nothing quaintness about it. It was just like like a big macro store, which is cool with a ton of stuff, and I've, it's really awesome. But there was nothing special, just variety, right? Variety is good. But Tops today was like massive variety of South African and international products. Like They, they nail the variety side, and from a South African standpoint – got to be one of the biggest varieties around. I mean, I can think of two or three stores which could, which could compete. But what's also really cool is like the decor is awesome. Like there's a real theme to it. There's this kind of shitty LPs all over the place. There's kind of vinyl theme going on. And it feels like it feels quaint and big and variety. You can see there's like real care has gone into it. So it's, uh, it's pretty, it's, it's worth the trip. It's like as, it felt like as I parked there, it's like, shit, man, I'm a Tops Hillcrest. It's like a, a craft beer and gin person's pilgrimage in South Africa and it, it lived up to it mm. so for me I always talk about the pilgrimage to the Cape and it started with uh, Paulana yeah yeah in back in the day and there, there's a new thing in Paulana now and, I believe so yeah. and the cool I have thing, seen it it's, it's pretty cool it's got one litre glasses yeah yeah and um, it's they've got uh, Who Garden which is pretty good and the other taps are all CBC which feels right for a yeah. proper replacement for Paulana and uh, yeah same brewer same brewmaster best brewmaster in the whole world yeah genau <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, and then after after Palana closed, it just so happened that <clears throat> I discovered Roland Liquors. Oh, yes. And that's where your story started. There we go. It's my ex-business partner, Hermanus Theodorus Potgieter. He's also a little been a little bit scarce. Yeah. So um, on our website, our first League of Beers website we made on WordPress, WordPress um, on their about page, there's, I'm Rob, this is Nzeka, and this is Hermanus Theodorus Potgieter, because I'd got hold of his passport and I thought, this is great. <laughs> and so we used to get like query emails, and the, the email would state, Dear Rob and Zeka and Hermanus Theodorus. <laughs> he loved that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What is Marnie up to? Um, he's got a spice thing, puka spice. Um, selling lots of gin, selling lots of beer. Um, mm. Otherwise, he's always playing around with some stuff. I mean, he's got his partnership with uh, Ignacio and mm. the cyber seller stuff. So I think he continues to dabble. He's, he's like me. He's uh, nailed down and dabbled down. What's it? Double down is focus into alcohol. <laughs> But, uh, but do you agree with me that if you're doing a pilgrimage to the Cape, it's certainly still worth a visit? Yeah, if, if, you, if you're coming to the Cape, aside from the fact that there's wineries, distilleries and breweries left, right and centre, from a, a, a retail point of view, um, Ruland Liquors, Barkeeper, Liquor City Claremont um, and Banana Jam. Mm. You can't, can't miss Banana Jam. No, you can't. Good old Greg Casey. There's a shameless plug for you there, man. Yeah, and Greg has been traveling in Asia for at least six weeks now. Yeah, he lives a tough life. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel for him, all that travel. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, can you stop bouncing? Sorry, man. It, <laughs> but did have to open a beer there. you got to speed up there on your Berliner Weiss. Um, cool, so you, you were saying to me that the focus of the podcast is far more retail, which is right up my alley. Um, uh, how about should I give a quick background as to what we're up to this season and it is very retail specific yeah so <clears throat> I haven't been in Berlin for um, 20 years I'd say 18 for me so Ooh. I just missed you by a year or two that's good man and I, w- and I only went to the the Irish pub in Berlin <laughs> so I didn't drink too much Berlin advice <laughs> Um, it's quite tart. Yeah, I mean, the Berliner Weiss is very tart. Um, yeah, so um, should I give you an update as to what Tell we're up to? Tell us what you Also, since the last podcast, that was around the time we did our crowdfunding, and that went very well. And the launch of Sugarbird. Yeah, and it was, and thank you for the support, everyone. So, I mean, for for whoever cares, for context, um, my I spent time on Yappy Chef and League of Beers. Um, I spent time with Tiny Cake on putting beers and wine in Japan, although that's run principally by Tom Riley, um, but my biggest focus is um, driving sugar beer gin and trying to use it as a vehicle to grow craft gin in South Africa. Um, that was the reason for starting Sugarbird was I thought there were great gins in South Africa. I wanted to spread that to more people and I wanted to spread that out of the country um, globally. So that's why we did a Fanboss Gin. Um, and it's always, and I just like collaboration. I like the people in the industry are cool to work with. I like doing stuff with them. So that's kind of the theme for what we do in this season. So um, we did our, sorry, we did our um, macro baubles last year. They went really well. And that kind of spurred, spurred us in the direction of actually trying to work a lot more closely with the retailers. So what worked with the baubles is we realized that Haley, who's the buyer, had a need for a quirky gin offering at a good price with nice variety, um, 
that was fun. Um, and we solved that need for her and it kind of turned our business in that direction of actually thinking more about the customer being the retailer and the consumer, the actual end consumer, and thinking about how do we solve their problems and how do we focus our entire business on solving their problems? Because to be completely honest, gin's a competitive space like craft beer and wine and so just flog your bottle on people, you're not making their lives easier, you're making their lives more difficult and then there's just mm. more overwhelm. So we kind of changed our whole mindset to thinking about how do we solve the problem for the customer and the consumer, <clears throat> customer being the retailer, the consumer being the person who drinks it, mm. sometimes one and the same, like me, uh, consumer, producer, consumer, all of these things. <laughs> um, the, yeah, so after that, we did eggs for pick and pay, and then going into the season, we thought, okay, the thinking was, how do we achieve value for variety? So giving the end consumer as many different gins and flavors as they can get, at a reasonable price and the more variety they buy the better the price as opposed to the traditional mode of thinking that we all have is the bigger the volume the better the price I thought mm. well if we can give better price or better variety we so I've got gesticulating Italian hands mm-hmm. despite no Italian blood but uh, that really in my mind appeals to people who are interested in trying different gins and these type of things so we've done three things this season or four things first one is we did a better version of, of ball balls for macro, which is going out next week. Then for checkers, we made two more sugar bird gins. Um, so for this season, there's a limited variety of two extra sugar bird gins, honeybush and moringa and um, protein cucumber. And for checkers, they've got these little crackers, and it's like gin mini crackers. Um, and these little bling, little bling boxes, we call them, like a little tiny little box with four little mini gins. Um, for pick and pay, we made an advent calendar. And that's what everybody's been waiting for. Yeah, so everyone's always spoken about an advent calendar, but we try to put an advent calendar together in glass minis, right? Mm. The retail price would have been like 1,400 rand. Mm. Like, who's going to pay that? that that's, that's silly, right? Mm. So we thought, okay, what other packaging types are there? And then we came across PET. And luckily, we'd come across PET with our eggs and the baubles. And we realized that PET is, is a far lower carbon footprint. It's made here. It's not imported. It's much lighter. It's much cheaper as a substrate. Plus, it happens to be, which we didn't know, it happens to be very recyclable. It's a type of plastic that's recyclable. It's not normal plastic. It wasn't developed to be recyclable. It's become recyclable. And actually, in the first world, PET is greatly recycled. It's a very recycled, recyclable and recycled substrate, not yet in South Africa. So our mission then became... So first of all, we thought, okay, let's get value for variety in these mm-hmm. PETs. So, man... Um, then we made this advent calendar where we pulled together all the best gin brands in South Africa and we filled their, their gins into these PT minis and put labels on them and put them into these mix packs. And that was, I say, the third thing we did. The fourth thing we did is how do we make that available to the general trades? So we made these five packs that is almost a lucky packet. So every five pack will have a different combination mm. of 44 of South Africa's best gins. And pretty much any gin you can name, barring one actually, is inside there. So it's a nice combination. Every every pack you pick up is going to be a different combination. Some will have Blutlumun, some will have Inverosh, some will have Clement Gold, some will have Sugarbird, some won't have Sugarbird, some will have uh, Musgrave, some will have Hope, um, some will have Pimville, never Pimville and Hope together, I'm told. Um, and, and there'll always be this this kind of combination, right, which is, uh, I think it's really cool for the consumer. And so we're sending these out to the independent trade, to the retailers, as a solve for them, gifting, variety, all these things, because gin is still on trend. But then it, it came to the realization to us, we put a lot of plastic out in the trade. Um, 600,000 minis. 
we're sending to the trade this year. So we're like, oh, wait a second. Sugarbird Fanbush Gin, is, uh, this purpose is a big part of our business. We want it to be good for South African gin. We want it to be good for South African entrepreneurship. But the environment is an important thing. We can't damage the environment that Fanbush grows in, you know? Um, so we got together with all the big institutions that are driving recycling, like Petco and Extra Pet and these big recycling organizations that got them to teach us and explain to us how can we make this thing a, a solution how do we make sure that people recycle these products how do we make the product as recyclable as possible so the, the the type of PET we use the type of label we use the type of cap we use the type of cardboard we use everything is more recyclable than would have previously been right so and not everything's perfect it's a journey we're still using the aluminium caps which we actually would prefer not to but the consumer is not quite ready there so we've taken a big step towards making this product far more recyclable than the normal minis that you have, the normal glass minis. So we got a much more recyclable product, reusable and recyclable, but we're also on a campaign, an education campaign and an incentive-driven campaign to incentivize people to bring the minis back to us and to bring them to drop-off points in pick-and-pay and in macro and the independent retailers and drive consumer awareness that don't throw PET away and don't litter PET Bring it to these collection points and we'll reward you for it and we'll reuse them and recycle the product. So, can you actually refill them? Yeah, we can. Uh, okay. Definitely can. Uh, it's difficult to get a, f- a proper bottle back to us for us to reuse. Mm. It's like recycling in South Africa is so behind the rest of the world. Like if we were in Europe, it would be the, su- the easiest thing. The, the whole engine is in place. The whole closed loop is in place. We've had to create our own artificial closed loop to ensure these things come back to us. But more than likely... Um, the PT is going to go into handbags and clothing. There's a very big market for PT fiber, which is used in T-shirts that you'll buy from Woolworths um, and underpants that I'm sure you buy from Woolworths and uh, bags and various material like this, which is made from this PT fiber. So it's very, as I say, very recyclable. And people don't know this. So we want to, our kind of goal for the season, we've got little metrics we're driving towards is um, there's a certain percentage of PT that gets recycled and we want to up that number. At the same time, increase the awareness that recycle the damn thing and then start moving South Africans more towards where the rest of the world is of recycling PET. So I think the problem in South Africa is often that people throw things out the window because they think they're creating employment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know that you are with with, um, aluminium cans. If you throw them out the window of your car. Absolutely. So I hate litter. When I see people littering, I want to drive those people off the road. But... uh, because there's so much value in aluminium cans, you don't have to put your can in any special bin. You can leave it wherever you want on the side of the road. The waste entrepreneurs will find these things and pick them up. And that's also what we want to try and drive with the PET is that there's value behind PET. In fact, there's, there's subsidized value behind PET. So we want the waste entrepreneurs also to be aware that you must recycle the stuff. Mm. So you've just poured me some modern gold. Where is this from? RHBC. It's PET. Yeah, that's right. And Nile. Oh, it's a, it's a collab. Yeah, yeah. Mm, very nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. Now, I, I'm saying more of a light, well, medium body, hop forward, mm. beer style fan, but I uh, enjoyed it. Then a guilty mm. one. So, Nile, Nile's definitely a good pioneer in beer cans. Yeah. Where did he pick up his canning line? Um, uh, wasn't it the Krugerbrow one? Yes. Uh, I think yeah. yes, yes, yes. Second hand canning system. Mm. Well, there's, there's about three cask second hand, four cask second hand, three second hand cask systems running around South Africa, and one new one, which is our rivals, uh, Liam and the boys. Um, 
But yeah, there's only there's only one goose in South Africa, and Tiny Cake has it. <laughs> so talking about uh, packaging in in Germany, and I could be, you could I stand to be corrected. There's a 500 ml Euro bottle, which every single brewer in Germany uses. Oh, cool! It's the same bottle, and you can return it to any brewery. That an union bottle. That. That's, it looks like that. Oh, yeah. I assume it's the same one. Well, it would be because where's that union brewed? Uh, in Germany. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they, all the brewers just came together and said, okay, that's a bottle and we'll just use that bottle. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah. So it kind of solves. And so it gets reused and. And it looks the same somewhere. on the shelf and it's yeah, pretty yeah. boring. Yeah. But, but it works. Yes. Because the Germans recycle. Yeah, big time. Yeah, there's some cool cultural things that Germans have and the Japanese have. Ironically, both from a production and engineering point of view, but also from a recycling point of view, which is, and it's like part of the culture. It's just mm. that's the way it is. Whereas, like, for us, we just don't have that yet, and we need to bring it into our culture. And, like, for us, we make these, we have, like, we have to do this big campaign that we do this year and make these big recycling drives. Whereas in Japan, it's just part of everyday life. Like, you don't have to have a special triangle that's green and got all arrows, just we recycle. It's just that's how we work. I was listening to a podcast, um... and we recycle from the ruck as well, really quickly. It's all about in Japan. They just, in Japan, it's all yes. about recycling. I mean, they've taken that culture from recycling product and they recycle ball from the ruck faster than anybody else. Now we know. <laughs> That's why Japan is so good at rugby these days. Yeah. Well, then Singapore should be good as well. I was listening to this podcast, um, Shift Drink podcast, and the guy's in Singapore and he's visiting this this uh, cocktail bar, the best one of the top 50 in the world. Oh, yeah. And the guy says this, he throws away 70 grams a month. Or a week of yeah. rubbish. Well, the rest is recycled. That's crazy. Yeah, even even like the lemon peels get recycled into awesome. some sort of a botanical. Oh, by the way, um, I listened to your podcast with Lorna from Inverosh. It was really good. I enjoyed it. And um, you also mentioned that uh, drinks business, what's it called? The one in the States, that podcast. Yes. I've been starting to listen to that. Also, excellent. Like great insight there. Yeah. Lots of ZX uh, Venture stories and yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers yeah. to Johannes and Ennis. Cheers to Johannes, yeah, <laughs> and Ennis. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the after Sugarbird, your big adventure has been the canning thing, tiny cake. Yeah. So. <clears throat> um, I put out a blog post in 2013 about cans. Oh, that's so, a while ago. Yeah, I've, I've been a big believer in cans for a long time. Um, and mobile canning, I, I kind of found out about in about 2015 or so. And met Tom Riley in about 2017. I think it was 2017, yeah. Uh, got on straight away and had a mutual... And he was ex-SAB. I'd had a mutual belief that beer in cans was the way to go. And... It was, we kind of got together, let's call it just before Sugarbird launch. It was around the same kind of time. So timing-wise, it was kind of difficult. And then what weirdly enough happened is through our crowdfunding campaign, we got real investment straight afterwards. And then a, a company came to us by the name of Yellow Partners, and they wanted to invest. But by that stage, we already had a, a full investment partner who wanted the full investment without other people. So I met these Yellow guys, and they seemed really cool. Um, and I'd met Tom and we were talking about this canning thing. We want to put it together. And then suddenly it occurred to me that we've got this concept. We've got the right time, right place. We've got Tom, who's the, the right guy. And there's this company who wants to invest in Sugarbird. 
and their, their wealth actually comes from packaging in South Sudan. I'm like, well, this is too obvious. So we set up a meeting. Uh, Tom, me, um, Arnold and George from Yella, and we were like, I, I said, Tom, we'll just tell them the story. And it was instant. Like within, within a few weeks, they were in, and a few weeks later, they were invested. And so we've got one investment partner into time. It's like so Sugarbird has... 37 investors all like small little drips and drabs so it's almost like grown up crowdfunding whereas um, Tiny Keg has just one investor and they are awesome guys like really like one of the best investors you could hope for and um, so we're working with them trying to create this mobile canning revolution in South Africa so we now speak to Johannes from the Dutchies and Brunners mm. he talks that same kind of language it's like as if you once you've figured out how the funding thing works, mm. businesses work. Yeah, he loves the whole funding game right now. He's yeah. become a pro. <laughs> I should get him. Well, have, you see, have you seen his pitch decks? They are smart. Very good. Like um, his Duchess one and the, the dope one. Like there's the world-class pitch decks. I, I sent him my pitch decks and I was very <laughs> – I showed him my deck. He showed me his and I was very – I was ashamed. Just repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it's a uh, it's M and A jokery there, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, so the, uh, Johannes is becoming an expert at raising capital. So <laughs> uh, if for our next raise, I think I'll send him on put put mm. him on the task. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the the but the canning you started the canning as a as a kind of a venture, but it's mm. become much more than that. It's become a whole route to market and a whole solution for people like Mike. <clears throat> Yeah, and well, it's it's almost. Um, I I really enjoy the strategy side of things, mm. and and if we, in Sugarbird is almost the the birth of my previous business failures and the learnings from those and applying those towards it. So that's why I was never scared to get into a competitive market because I was like, I've got all these hard learnings that I can apply, um, and so Tiny Keg, uh, I'd say is almost partially inspired by Michael Porter. So uh, Michael Porter, well-known strategy guru, um, speaks about Porter's five forces. And as we were putting Tiny Keg together, we and it became abundantly clear when we went to the States. Shot, thank you. We went to the States. We need to get uh, new beers. Uh, we realized that mobile candy in the States is it's a B2B business, right? And it's just, it's like... And if you if you delve into a lot of the, the case studies of Michael Porter, you'll see that successful businesses uh, develop well inside of ecosystems. So, like, you get more and more engineering firms coming out of Germany, and you get more and more design firms coming out of um, Italy, and uh, you get Silicon Valley. It's it's an ecosystem, right? Of everything's there. There's there's customers. There's talent. There's funders. There's access to hardware, access to software. It's all there. So you're, it's a ripe ecosystem for success. And we noticed that in the States, uh, that mobile canning, because craft beer is so big, there's an ecosystem that everything works. There's, they can get sleeves. They can get labels. They can get design. They can get cans. They can get beer. They've got consumers. They've got super crazy consumers. They've got a large consumer base. So it, like, it will work there. Whereas we noticed in South Africa, there's no can ecosystem. There's, there were no labels. There were no sleeves. Mm. There were... Only the big guys could get cans. Um, we got a lack of a lack of consumer demand, lack of volume of consumers. Like all these things just didn't exist. So when putting together the strategy for for Tiny Keg, um, the, the the thinking was we will fail if we don't have an ecosystem. So the goal with Tiny Keg is, and that's actually why we don't mind that there's competition. We want competition. The goal was 
not have a mobile canning business, create a mobile canning movement and ecosystem. And that then gives you strategic advantage because if you create the ecosystem, you own the ecosystem, but it also prevents failure, right? And um, so that was, and as I speak about having a good amount of business failures, it's from having those business failures that we applied this thinking towards, um, towards the tiny keg and the mobile canning thing. So what is the strategy now? So the strategy is to create an ecosystem. And so that's why we have this route to market thing. So if you think about what is the ecosystem, you need cans. Okay. And so we have a, a relationship with BevCan where Tiny Keg is actually BevCan Cape Town. So that's the first part. So we've got source to cans. And so we can sell uh, half pallets to anybody. So now we're making cans available to everyone. Right. So that was step one in the chain. Right. And so BevCan doesn't do that. BevCan would prefer you to take a container load from Joburg. So they definitely don't want to sell you a half pallet ever. So we're doing split pallets uh, from Cape Town across South Africa. So that's the first step. Um, the next step was, well, it, it, this is not the next step, but in, in the puzzle, um, we got a really good labeler, so we can do labels. Then we'd worked closely with the labeling companies to get label prices down and to get the right type of labels for cans. We've invested in a sleever, so we can put sleeves on cans to make them look like they're printed. Instead of stickers. Because mm, the sleeve looks like a printed can. Mm. We've brought the minimum run of printed cans down as well. So there's all your, your dry goods sold. Then we've created packaging solutions, trays and boxes that brewers can use ours or rebrand for theirs. So now dry goods are sold, right? Then um, the brewers need to brew beer. We, we can't brew the beer for them. Um, then there's the filling. We made sure that when we bought a, tiny, a wild goose machine and we're buying two more wild goose machines next year, um, that we have the best technology in mobile canning, right? So then there's that part. That seems like it's the focus of our business. Then that takes us a step further. <clears throat> then there's route to market, right? And so we teamed up with Steel Cut Spirits, which is Sugar Virgin, and we worked on a, a pre-planned route to market. So all you brewers, every month what you brew, we're going to buy a bunch of that and sell it into the trade and build demand for it to for the likes of Mike at Tops Hillcrest. And we're also going to channel that into Yappy Chef and League of Beers because we know the guys pretty well. Um, and so what that's doing is it seeds the market. It puts cans in front of people, but it's also putting cans in front of the right people who are the same people or the same type of people who spread the gospel for craft beer. Mm. So it's these early adopter innovator types, right? Mm. Uh, the Tasting League, the guys who run the Tasting League and all part of the Tasting League are, are early adopters, fast movers, and they are influencers, right? Or influential people. Um, <clears throat> And we made sure that these are the people through League of Beers and through the right, like Top Hillcrest and these kind of stores, these we're seeding only into those stores. We didn't want to go into big retail. So we've created a route to market, but as a, a fixed route to market that is getting to the hands of the people who appreciate, understand, and will tell the story. Um, the next step is also the whole brand building, which you'll see more of that coming out, is the brand building, the story for cans. So we now, next year's marketing drive is the gospel of cans and getting consumers to understand why it's better for the product and better for the environment and and all these better for people product environment yeah um and and that's and if you look at that it starts creating this full ecosystem of a of a can solution as opposed to if i pitched up as your door as mr brewer and say hey i want to put your beer into cans and the more you can the better the price 
that's not a solution, right? Because you don't even know if your consumers are going to buy it yet. Mm. So we're trying to ensure that you've got everything you need to put your product in can. And we're trying to create a route to market and demand to ensure that the consumers buying your product in can. So it becomes an obvious thing for you to move your product into can. Okay. Um, when you visited the States, I mean, a lot of cans there, eh? Yeah, boy. Uh, a metric F-ton, approximately. <laughs> um, that's it, like all the best beer in the States is going to cans. So if you, and everybody has YouTube at home, mm. there's a series called Building a Brand. Okay. And it's an awesome, awesome, I mean, I cried at the end. It's about a, a, a brewery called Hamilton Family Breweries, and this guy has got a shitty label. And he, he contacts this big uh, ad agency in, I think, in L.A. or somewhere. And he says, guys, please help me. And they said, dude, what's your budget? Hmm. And it didn't work. But they said, okay, we'll take it on because it's got entertainment value. Okay. On condition that we can film, make a documentary about oh, how, cool. how we rebrand the whole brewery. Yes. So okay. it's, about, cool. it's about 10, 20-minute uh, All right. episodes. Awesome, awesome. And he ends up with these awesome cans. Okay, cool. Um, so nice. obviously cans is, is the big thing. And he was changing from being a, a tap room to going into retail. Into distribution, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting in the States, they, um, the cans are mostly labeled. Um, only the big five are printed cans. And so sleeved or stickers? Labeled, like the stickers, yeah. So there are sleeves. Sleeves is a big thing. Mm-hmm. There are whole businesses that, <laughs> that's the difference here. So we're building a sleeving business within our business. In the States, a business will sleeve cans. That's their business. That's their business, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the, the scale is just so different. Um, and uh, although there's a lot, of, a lot of very cool products in, in sleeves, we've actually, what we noticed is it was the, the RTDs and the wines were in sleeves because the beers had labels, had stickers on them. And as I say, only... Uh, New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, Samuel Adams. Only a few of those guys had printed cans. So when, about 10 years ago, we launched a, <clears throat> a tequila brand, tequila, flavored tequila, when everybody else was doing flavored vodka. Okay. And <clears throat> obviously faced with only having console bottles, okay. 601 or 702, I don't know what they were called. And we were one of the first people to... Or first brands to bring oh, out a, a complete sleeve product, oh, cool. and it was so awesome. So, who did you do that with? The sleeves, or what? The, that business. Uh, I had a partner. He now lives in California. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that wasn't Jose. So you know Jose for the other things. No, 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 okay. no. He came. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been around for mm. as long as that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, so the cans are... Where are the cans available? You've, how many outlets have you got? <clears throat> uh, about 20. Um, 20. I really don't want to forget these, no, these cool dudes. There's a, there's a list. <laughs> um, the best way to figure out where they're available... I mean, there's some freaking cool outlets that support us, like um, Liquor City Grundkloof, The Green Bar, um, what's his name, Capital Craft, Tops Radio Corp. That, that dude's cool. He's, yeah. Um, the obviously uh, Liquor City Claremont Rundiger's Barkeeper uh, Tops Hillcrest uh, fuck I'm going to forget somebody here uh, the best thing is to check out at Tiny Keg uh, oh. on social media and then you can see where everything's at yeah there's some cool spots but for me and I, and I just think 
I mean, it is a solution. If I had a tops somewhere mm. or an, an independent, I would want to get my hands on these tiny kegs and say, mm. Rob, I just want 20 of these, mm. preferably mixed up yeah, yeah. in a month. Yes. Because we've we recently had a meeting with all the KZN brewers, and I said, or okay. well, somebody came, said, look, let's just do a mixed pack 12 beers, KZN beers, yeah, once yeah. a month, pre-order, nice and there yeah, you go. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, you really have a solution for, not only for the Hillcrest, but, the you know, a few other guys. Well, you know, we that's what we're making for the season, is a, um, a 12 mixed pack of cans of what we think is of the best selection of South African beer that's in cans. So it's some of the best beer we can this year, and we've moved a whole lot of new beer into cans so there's good variety good mix of lagers vice pale ale ipa uh two dark beers as well uh, we, it was originally called the 12 beers of christmas we've turned it into essays 12 beers and it's trying to create that concept in real retail so it's mm. almost like league of beers 2.0 um, but in a way that's different to league of beers that it's kind of very gift focused very and and the drive is to use that as a way to get your dad, your cousin, your boyfriend, your husband, the dudes who've never had craft beer, who've never had craft beer in cans and try to get them to adopt it because that's the only way craft beer will survive in South Africa is you get it to a broader market. Like the the biggest problem with craft beer and craft gin is our actual market size is tiny. It's not not sustainable. But does that, I mean, how big is the League of Beer business still? Is that that monthly gift box still working well? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, um, it's, uh, what's the word? It's, it's got to a point where it's 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 a, like in a sweet spot. So we could grow it aggressively, but it would cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, so it's almost in it's 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 in maintenance phase. So mm. like there's there are more people signing up at a gentle rate, um, and it just it just keeps ticking over. So it's a funny thing. Like in the early days, I used to focus heavily on the marketing, the brand building, and telling the story of craft beer. That's kind of uh, how I my face got out there uh, and like not purposefully but I kind of became known-ish in the industry through my desire to make craft beer known and drive this whole League of mm-hmm. Beers thing right now where League of Beers is at it's all I need to do is just source cool stuff mm-hmm. and it, it's a lot more fun like you don't feel like you have to freaking punt Push and it. drive hard it's and and we could always readdress that in time, but for now it's just like the customers are there, mm. and it's a, a, a relatively small group. We're speaking in the thousands, kind of thing. But uh, you just got to make sure, as long as we find them cool stuff every month, they they stay engaged, and that, that's kind of where it's at. Mm. I think it also works nicely from a that word of mouth point of view. So the stuff that we put in there gets word of mouth and sees an impact in its normal sales. So at least you feel like you're offering some value to the brewers. Yeah. I mean, if you look at BrewDog, for example, if you sorry, if you read the BrewDog book, mm. he says if you have reps, mm. you're doing something wrong. Mm. It should, you know, there should be a demand for your product. Yeah, correct, pull demand. Which, I mean, uh, yes and no. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy into their philosophy. <laughs> to be completely honest, hey, I mean, crowdfunding, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think they're they're very. <laughs> Arrogant bastards. Mm. <laughs> Pull up a stone in front of me here. Yeah. yeah. But Rob, I mean, you're solving a problem with that mix box. Three, four years ago, I used to work with uh, uh, the guys in Bethlehem, Ultra Liquors. they Ultra Liquors now. Um, and he really went to Joburg, bought X amount of 
made little monthly club uh, gift oh, really? boxes. The Robinsons? No, 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 no. Okay. So it was an independent in, in Bethlehem. Okay. okay. And he really tried to get craft beer off the market, but this is so much easier. He can just order 20, 30, 40 cases of, of a mixed box yeah. and say, guys, here it is. Yeah, I'll take on the pain of curation because I enjoy it. Let yeah. me solve that problem for you. And it's easier <laughs> It's easier if you're living in Cape Town than if you're living in Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, big time. Well, we'll get it to them. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that might be my value proposition to South Africa. Yeah. I'll curate cool craft shit for you <laughs> and do the hard work of put hurting the box. cats. Yeah, <laughs> put it in a box. Put it in a <laughs> and box. Ship it. So after, after the cans now, you've done the same for miniatures. Mm. I mean, we have briefly spoken about it. but Our, our big drive engine is, is, we think minis are the way of the future. Yeah. The future is mini. Because I try to get everybody to get into, mm. into miniatures and... Mm. Urban glass said, "Guys, here's some miniatures. We've got mm. some fancy miniatures. Go and make it." But this is so much easier. Yeah, I mean, the minis as, as a retailer just buying. Yeah, but even for the gin brands, like, so I, I really like the analogy of um, when there's a gold rush, uh, sell shovels, mm. provide shovels. Um, don't don't try and jump into the gin rush, into the gold rush, <laughs> the gin rush. Yeah. So Sugarbird initially is. Looks like we're part of the gin rush, but actually I, I love selling shovels. And so mm. what's the the goal with this thing is trying to solve a problem for the retailer and for the gin brand. So like the gin brands couldn't get into PET minis because, well, glass minis are too expensive, I think. And I, I think price is an issue. Don't be cheap, but don't be too expensive because your market will eventually fade and people will walk away if they feel like they're not getting good value. So especially South Africans. Um, and so we thought, well, by doing this whole thing, we... And by buying bulk from the producer, that's all they need to do. So you as gin distiller, you make good gin, you just keep making good gin. Don't worry about anything else. Mm. So we'll take your, we'll buy the bulk, we'll source the PT minis, we'll solve your label, we'll fill it, we'll pack it, we'll ship it, blend it, put it together, put it in a box, distribute it, ship it, sell it, take care of everything. And then it goes to the retailer. By the way, um, Daft Punk Technologic. If you just speed up what I said there, it sounds like a Daft Punk song. Um, <laughs> it's kind of been our production theme. Blend it, fill it, pack it, ship it, blend it, ship it, sell it, <laughs> make it. Um, and, uh, and then, as I say, there's a solution for the retailer because now the retailer, um, Top Silcrest, immense variety. But Mike was talking about the, the impact it has on his cash flow. So what we think we have now is tiny variety so mm. small obviously I like tiny we give you a little small pack of variety and your customers get a massive amount of variety but you don't have to buy into a ton of stock you just buy mm. a couple of digital mini packs and everyone has variety mm. and you can sell it to 3,000 bottle stores around the country and they all have everyone gets their own variety yeah. because everyone's different yeah, yeah. exciting yeah. and when is that launching? <clears throat> so the big retailers will have it next week uh, which is middle October and for everybody else, it'll be available beginning of November. So don't go to the big supermarkets. Wait a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone gets something different. Yeah. Everyone gets to be unique. <laughs> so, so pick and pay is getting what I've been looking for for a long time. Yeah. What is it? The the gin advent calendar. Super exciting. South Africa's first real gin advent calendar. Can you talk about it? Yeah. What is it? It's ready to go. Well, it's uh, 24 different gins, one gin per day. Um, it's all your favorite brands uh, any brand you can think of is in there 
And if it's not in there, it's because it's in one of our other little mixed products we put together. Um, there's a 24 pack. Uh, we've also made an eight pack at a more affordable pickup point. So one gin every third day of Advent. Ah, oh, that's no good. <laughs> or you could you could buy three of those. Yeah, exactly. No, no, get the 24 pack. There's not that many 24 packs, so yeah. you got to you got to make sure you get there fast. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, so that's, a, that's exclusive to pick and pay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they've, they're the ones who bought into mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the nice thing is these are pick and pay in every town. Yeah, it's it's very available and really available. We've also made um, Yappy Chef is getting uh, 12 gins of Christmas as well. Different gins. Okay. So what was cool about this whole campaign is by getting the pre-orders of the retailers and getting all the gin brands together, we were able to break the challenge of the minis and PET and get molds made so we could make this available. But also by having 44 different gin brands, we can create this cool variety that that everybody gets something different. You know? Yeah. And also all the cool, all the best brands are on display. Yeah, I'm surprised that the, the, the big brands went in for it. Mm. The, the the biggest brands in South Africa were all keen. Um, in, in the top gin, top 10 brands, there's one glaringly missing brand. Um, and if I, were to, if I were to name South Africa's top 30, they're all there. Mm. Uh, in fact, we're using the campaign by giving vouchers in the Yappy Chef box and the Pick and Pay box to kind of vote with your wallet. So there's a 50 rand off to get you to go and buy more of that gin. Um, so we'll see which gins, full bottles people buy. And we can use that as a kind of a... <coughs> there are a lot of gin competitions and awards and medals getting thrown about these days. So we thought, well, let's get the consumer to vote. Like, much like in the early days with, with League of Beers, we had people's choice. Let the people choose. And the bottles that they buy the most of, that is South Africa's gin brand. Exactly. Buy sugar bad. <laughs> <laughs> and where from... What's next on the cards? Um, next year, we put a lot of effort into global. So we want to take um, our brand global. Um, we've got a, a very aggressive project planned on that. Um, and then we've got a kind of a three-part strategy for next year. Let's take our standard product globally. There is build a proper sales engine in South Africa with a rebrand of Sugarbirds. We want to put it into new bottles, <laughs> new labels, all these things. We want to make Sugarbird fresher and prettier with better route to market than we currently have. And the other thing is we want to take all the best of the African gins and make them readily available in South Africa and globally. And so kind of build in minis and, and we want to try and create a distribution network or route to market for South African gin minis locally and globally. So that's three-part plan for next year. Everyone, you now have our playbook. Mm-hmm. Feel free to try and copy it. <laughs> I like that idea. I mean, I've been a massive uh, endorser of the South African craft gins, and I think there's some wonderful flavors, and oh, yeah, this is a wonderful way to get it out. So whoever's listening from Germany, from Japan, from the UK, from Spain and maybe even from the States, this is a wonderful way to taste all the variety of gins available in South Africa. I will go so far as to say that I think South Africa's gins are the best gins in the world. And like, and I say that having traveled the world fairly decently and having, brought, having other people brought back a lot of samples, and I think our flavor profiles that we create, the type of gins we create in South Africa are 
far more unique, far more distinctive, far more flavorsome. And there are better London dry gins all over the world. But if you want, let's call it a craft gin, a floral gin, a citrus gin, I think we kick ass in mm. South Africa. And so the world needs to try our gin. We need to become a world gin destination, destination. And I think we will out of having just great product. Mm. And exporting cans, beer cans? Well, cans are made for export. Mm. Um, yeah, so a couple of guys who've got contracts into different parts of the world are planning to move those bottles into cans because you can fit way more cans in a container. But I'm talking about those mixed mixed boxes or something like that as a, as a, I think a taste that, of Africa. Yeah, I think that'll probably be the next step uh, for Tiny Keg next year. We'll be seeing if we can get those things mm. sent globally. Yeah, this it's not a core part of Tiny Cake strategy just yet, but freaking keen for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our our strategy kind of develops out of a between Tiny Cake and and Steel Cut Spirits. There's a kind of a long term plan and a very ambitious long term goal and the initial plan, um, but it's led largely with what we're figuring out, what the market actually wants, and what the feedback is that mm-hmm. we get, and we kind of adapt around that. And that's why Tiny Cake is the ecosystem never changes really. Now it's about making that ecosystem work for Tiny Keg. We don't have to push route to market, but as you say, and it is well as we've discussed, it's a crucial way to build demand in our country. So that's a, a cool point you've just made. And we, there are these, let's call it, the tops hillcrests of the world and different pockets mm. of the world. And we actually should find these guys and send to them, and maybe be more proactive about it. So Murray Slater, if you're listening, there's a job for you on your to-do list. Send mixed mixed cases of cans, mixed cases of cans to different parts of the world. And on the, on the steel gut spirit side, it's the the, 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 the two year strategy is kind of battered down quite clearly as to what it is we want to do. Mm. Because I mean, just just to, I got a call from Ireland, and the guy said to me, "Slante." I, I don't know. He's, he's, <laughs> no, he's a he's a guy from Zim. He, okay. said, he said, "I'm selling Irish craft spirits." Okay. He said, "I can sell you a container. I'm not a container. A pellet at a time of mixed uh, cool. Irish." Spirits. Okay, cool. And I mean, you've got the same opportunity. Yeah. And the government should be paying for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Should get behind us. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> there we go. Cool. Well, very exciting. Thanks for joining us here all the way from Cape Town. And uh, Rob's run out of beer. Yeah, so we need some beer, Holger. We need yeah, to. Solve this. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Rob Haynes, and man, that was exciting to take Rob to visit Hillcrest Tops for the first time. And I agree with him, that must be one of the top liquor stores in the world. Blend it, fill it, pack it, ship it, blend it, ship it, sell it, make it. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by drinksbiz.net, a place where we connect people like Rob Haynes and Mike Igling from Hillcrest Tops. So if you want to be connected to the right people. Join us at drinksbiz.net.